So thank you, Stuart. We will return to thinking about street pastors uh, in the context of thinking about Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. And I wonder what it was like for the apostles and the disciples and those that gathered in that upstairs room, or it wasn't an upstairs room, sorry, but the room where they were, uh, where they were meeting in Jerusalem, waiting for this gift that Jesus had sent. Uh, I wonder what their, how much of what Jesus had actually said to them as they went out on the last time when Jesus was taken up in the air, I wonder how much of it uh, registered with them because Jesus was slightly enigmatic. We didn't read the passage but uh, in, in the passage in chapter 1 that we, we didn't read today, but I, maybe you know it, um, where they said to Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So still in their heads, they're just, they've got this nationalistic focus that actually the Messiah has come to restore Israel to its God-given glory and make of it the, the nation of nations, the chosen people once again. And so their, their thoughts are, are parochial. They're, they're just set, fixed and focused on the here and now. And then Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father set by his own authority. In other words, wrong question, and I'm not going to give you any answers. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes. A cloud hid him from their sight, and so Ascension Day was kind of 10, ten days ago. And then there were two angels, two men dressed in white, who stood beside them and said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go. And so they're left with the instruction that they are to go into all the world and be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, which is the next bit, okay, so there's Jerusalem, and then just to the, the, the kind of south and west, well, south and west for you is that way, uh, is Judea, and Samaria is the next territory which sat in a band across Israel north of Judea. And so Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so they've got this instruction that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But they'd never received the power of the Holy Spirit before. So they were told about something that was going to happen, but they had no idea what it was, what it would look like, feel like, do. No frame of reference whatsoever. Okay? We have a frame of reference because we know the next bit. They had nothing to go on except that something was coming and they knew not what. And then the second thing they were told was when the angels told them that Jesus would come back in the same way that they had seen him go. And so I would imagine that if I'm one of those disciples, not just the 12, once they added Matthias back in to make the number back up to 11, to, uh, to 12, to replace Judas. So there's the 12 of them, plus a whole lot of other disciples uh, Jesus' mother and brothers and sisters and, and uh, the, the women that had financed the ministry, lots of other people, not just the 12. And so they're praying and waiting, praying and waiting. And I don't know about you, but I would imagine if I had been given a, a, a commission like that to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, because naturally by instinct and personality, I'm a bit of a doer. 
I like to kind of do, I, I would probably be trying to work out how this was going to be done. <laughs> you know, I, I, very easy for us sometimes to set aside the bit that says God is going to give you the resources to do it. And in our pride and arrogance and vanity, well, I can't speak for yours, but I can speak for mine, to think, how am I going to pull this off? How am I going to do this? How am I going to bring about this, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth? Because all of us, one way or another, wrestle with the I at the center of all that we are and do. My role, my place, my importance, my mission, my ministry, my task. And then, of course, they were told that Jesus was coming back. So there's the other dimension which says, we don't know how to do any of this stuff because for the past three years, we've followed Jesus, gone everywhere with him, seen him do it. Yes, he briefly sent us out and then we came back. But we have no frame of reference for doing something certainly on a global scale to the ends of the earth without Jesus. So let's focus on Jesus coming back. <laughs> let's focus on Jesus coming back and, and uh, doing it with us and for us, just like the good old days for the past three years. And so they're waiting without knowing what or when. They don't fully understand the task and the commission. How could they? They didn't even have an atlas. <laughs> they didn't know what the world looked like, how big it was. For many of them, traveling from, you know, Galilee to Jerusalem was the furthest they'd ever gone. You know, it's less the case now. We think nothing of traveling the planet. I was talking to a guy not that long ago, and he was telling me about a, a young guy he met who unusually... Uh, he lived in a village in Fife, and, and this guy was trying to help him get an apprenticeship, and so he found he wanted to be a motor mechanic. So he found an apprenticeship for this guy at a motor mechanic in the next village, which was two miles along the road. And so he said, great, I've got good news for you. I've set you up with an apprenticeship as a motor mechanic uh, in this, you know, garage in this village. And the guy said, oh, I couldn't take that. He said, why not? Why, well, that's exactly what you wanted. He said, yeah, but it's two miles along the road. I've never been here before. <laughs> now, that's the kind of small, never-been-out-my-village mindedness that was probably not that uncommon. And so here's a people who are being told that they're going to be taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. <laughs> what do you do with that? And so they if they focused on the task at all, would have felt the size of the task and the uncertainty and the powerlessness of their own situation. And so they did the best thing they knew what to do, which is to bring their weakness and their powerlessness to God in prayer. We're given a little description of what it was that they did. Apart from of, of seeking God to reappoint an apostle, and Matthias was appointed. Apart from that, we're told that they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. You know, when you don't know what you should do, or when you don't believe you are useful for anything in God's hands, 
or when you are frustrated by the limitations that you see, you have a choice. You either stay in that box in your head and say, well, here are my limits, and there are the walls, and that's as far as I go. That's as far as I've ever traveled. That's as far as I've ever um, served Jesus. That's as far as I've ever gone in my discipleship. Here are my limits. This is all I'm fit for. This is all my skill set or my base will allow me to do. And so I will stay in here. Or you can recognize the smallness of the place that you inhabit or your experience is inhabited. And you can pray and you can ask God to take you to a bigger other place. You can pray and ask God to set you free from the box or the prison or the small place that is the limit of your experience or understanding and take you to a bigger place. Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus that they would have power to grasp how high and how deep and how long and how wide is the love of God. And to know this love And so the Holy Spirit was preparing to do something, preparing to come in power. And there were a group of people who couldn't make it happen, who didn't know what they were being asked to do, who were aware of their weaknesses and limitations, and yet apparently did not allow their weaknesses or limitations to prevent them from being available to God to be sent and used, and transformed, and blown out of their comfort zone by the wind of the Spirit. And I don't think anything's changed. I don't think God has changed. We can either set limits for God and say, thus far and no further, or we can say, I have no idea how I could ever be used, how I could ever do, how I could ever go, how I could ever speak, I have no idea how my life could ever be transformed. I have no idea how anything could be any other than the ark as I'm stuck in this place. But you see, God is a God who propels us out of our places. He rescues us from the places where we're trapped and stuck. And He propels us out of the places of safety and comfort if we're willing to let him do that. This past 10 days, there's been a a global prayer initiative. I'm uh, somewhat ashamed and embarrassed that I didn't get us behind it more fully than than we did. Thy kingdom come. Uh, A prayer initiative just to capture that 10-day period between uh, Ascension and Pentecost when the church was praying. When the church was praying and asking God, what next? What next? What happens now? And all they knew to do was pray. And sometimes if you're in a stuck place, that's all you can do. Certainly I've been in plenty of stuck places where all I've prayed is, Lord, here I am, but I don't know how to get out of this place. And so they could not see or discern what God was doing at the time. Lots of our understanding of what God has done comes as we look back and join the dots. When those two disciples walked along the Emmaus Road on the resurrection day, it was only as Jesus walked them through the Scriptures of the Old Testament and helped them to see 
that suffering and the death that Jesus had undergone were legitimately prophesied in Scripture, but they just hadn't seen it. And they needed to look back and see, oh yeah, it was there all along, and join some dots. And we cannot see what God is doing right now. But great are the stories that are told of revivals of old and moves of God's Spirit, of times and seasons of things that God has done in the past. But very seldom, except perhaps in the most powerful shift and move of the Holy Spirit, are people able to see what it is that God is doing in the moment. You know, as controversial as the whole Toronto blessing thing was, at the time there were those who just thought this was nothing to do with God and this kind of wild movement. If you've never heard of it, don't worry about it. Some of you are too young to. And for other people, even at the time, seeing what God was doing didn't help you to see what God was preparing to do next. And as all of these people, God's people, were gathered in a room, meanwhile, God was lining up what he wanted and needed to do outside the room. Krenna, can you put that slide up, please? I love this picture. I don't know if you've ever plotted on a map that list of names and places that you, that, that you heard me read. You see, Pentecost was, a, was one of the three festivals where the Jewish people would come together and they would, they would gather in Jerusalem. And if you lived far from Jerusalem, then you might make a pilgrimage. And for you, it might be a once-in-a-lifetime pilgrimage to Jerusalem for one of the major festivals. Pentecost was a harvest Thanksgiving festival. And so Jews who lived in Jewish communities outside of Jerusalem and outside of Israel in other nations round about had come to make pilgrimage, which is why there were all these foreigners, all these Jews from other places. And so when the wind of the Spirit blew in ways that no one could expect or anticipate, that is the range and the direction that the gospel would go back to. That's the range and the direction. It's not quite 360 degrees, but it's a pretty good coverage. There were people there hearing the gospel from all of those communities in that uh, circle that's represented there, which meant that they then went back. Now, just something to note. They only had to be a witness to their own community. They only had to be a witness to their own community. So that when they, and we're told that 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost put their faith in Jesus Christ, believed that he was the Messiah, believed that God had come and that Jesus had died on the cross and risen again, and that he was the Savior of the world. And the 3,000 people believed that and received that message and in turn would have received the power of the Holy Spirit, and they were propelled off in all sorts of directions. Now, I'm looking around this church, and I know because I know most of you, that there is probably about, you know, 40 times the number of directions that there are up on that map. And I just don't, don't just mean places that you live. I mean communities that you mix in. I mean, groups that you engage with, worlds that you inhabit. 
And, and the good news for the disciples, for the apostles, was that they did not need to take care of the whole thing. They only needed to go to the one place where they were sent. And for many of them, it just meant taking the gospel back to the place that they'd come from and bearing witness to it there. And so, Pentecost today continues, not with the same signs or the same outpouring. And sometimes there are great outpourings of God's Holy Spirit, but we continue to live in the ripple effect of the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. We continue to live. And I give thanks to God. You know, when I think of you and I look around and see all of you and think that a, a moving of God's Holy Spirit replanted a church here in the city center. And when I hear Stuart tell us about street pastors and think that there's now 101 street pastors plus safe zone pastors plus prayer pastors from all, not all, but significant numbers of churches, and that's just one ministry to a particular nighttime community, to a particular form of expressing the gospel. But you, you are the torchbearers. You are those who he is sending now. And maybe you don't know, maybe you do know, some of you definitely do already know where you're sent and to whom you're sent. And some of you may not know where you're sent or to where you're sent, but just know this, we are free from the burden of having to advance the kingdom for God. My observation of the gospel is that it, the disciples were constantly playing catch-up to work out what God was doing. And it was God who was advancing his kingdom. And my observation is that that's still the case, that God is the one who is advancing the kingdom, making Jesus known bearing witness and pointing to his son, transforming lives and giving people stories and testimonies, either their own or other people's, to share and say, I was blind and now I see. And so God calls us to continue as a church and perhaps as individuals if you're in some kind of box some place of limitation to say, Lord, break me out of this box. Pour your Holy Spirit down anew upon me. Pour your Spirit down anew upon your church. Pour your Spirit down anew upon Glasgow and send this generation by day and by night, midweek and weekend, to people in places of all manner of description. And use us, Lord, to bear witness to Jesus in 2019 and in the places that you send us. So I don't know what God will do through you this summer. I don't know what God will do through you in the time beyond this summer. I don't know what transformation God needs to work in you or through you, but his kingdom is still advancing. And all he is looking for are people, people like those disciples who hadn't a clue, but were willing and ready and available.
who weren't all sorted, but they knew that God was sorting them. Who couldn't compute the scale of the task, but were willing to be one in whatever place or direction God the Holy Spirit might send and propel them. And who above all else knew that they could not do anything of consequence until and unless the Holy Spirit came upon them and filled and equipped them. And please don't imagine that the Holy Spirit coming on you has to look like tongues of fire and other languages. That was for a moment, for a need, for that particular occasion. Let's not box God in and imagine He always has to do it the same way every time. The coming of the Holy Spirit upon our lives is sometimes with dynamic power like this, and sometimes it is with an incredible peace, and sometimes it is with the gifts that allow us to know something about someone that we can speak into their situation, or to bring a word of wisdom or insight that will just unlock or resolve a situation, or we might pray for someone and something incredible happens for them and to them. You see, all God needs to advance His kingdom, and He's the one who's doing it, is your willingness, your availability, your recognition that whether through street pastors or through some other ministry to students or the working community to cafe chaplaincy, whatever it might be or it might look like, whoever the group is that you've been sent to, God is already there. He got there first. But He's looking for people to send and to join Him in the task. And you have friends and family and communities and networks and places that you're the best person to get into. On your own, you can't do squat. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, from the weakness of what you're not as well as what you are, God continues to advance His kingdom. 